Okay, good. And we're recording. So, okay, have I done it? Hit all yes. the buttons I need to hit? Great. Uh, well, good afternoon, everybody. I think it's afternoon for just about everyone here because we're on the West Coast, so we're the last people to have an afternoon. <laughs> so welcome. Um, as you know by now, I'm Diana Graber. I'm the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World and founder of Cyber Civics and CyberWise. Here, as always, with Dr. Pamela Rutledge, who's the director of the Media Psychology Research Center, and CJ Lindsay, who is our resident uh, children's media expert. He's worked with all the guys, Cartoon Network, et cetera. So he's going to not only be helping us understand what kids are watching, but manning the chat box today. So if you have any questions as we go along, please feel free to put them in there. And I'm really excited to welcome our special guest today, Sue Chef. I've known Sue for a long time. She is one of the originals in the safety internet space. She has done so much work, written a bunch of books that you've probably heard of, Google Bomb, Shame Nation. She's the founder of helpyourteams.com. And I'd really like to start by Sue telling her personal story because it's really interesting how she got into this field in the first place. So Sue, take it away. Well, I'm gonna keep it really abbreviated because the topic that we're gonna talk about today is so much more important. Um, in 2001, I created Parents Universal Research resource experts because of my own experiences of trying to find a therapeutic boarding school for my good team making some really poor choices, struggling with depression, low self-worth, a lot of what parents are going through today. Um, we exhausted our local resources and we needed help. Um, the program we placed her in ended up being abusive, deceptive, neglectful, um, and my daughter suffered the consequences because they lied to us. I won a big lawsuit back then, and this was way back in the late 90s, um, and that was the, the demise of that program, as well as the 22, 20-something programs that was affiliated with that organization that ran that program. From there, I worked with three big law firms that represented hundreds of kids that were harmed in those programs. What was really interesting about this, this big part of my life was during all that litigation, the corporation that I took down hired someone to actually go online and virtually attack me. And it was the first time that we ever heard of this online destruction of someone. And I was a victim of internet def defamation where people were, this woman that was hired to attack me by this organization came after me with you know, online harassment. Cyberbullying wasn't even coined back then. So it was bullying, harassment, shaming, trolls, people impersonating me. It was literally out there to destroy me and the organization that I had started to start educating families on this big business of teen help out there because I really felt that I wanted other families to learn from my experiences. So through that, I not only won the first lawsuit, which helped the demise of all those you know, abusive programs, I won the very first internet defamation lawsuit back in 2006, which was a landmark case back then. It set precedence of the $11.3 million lawsuit, which, you know, that was my second book of Google Bomb. And then from there, that's how I became such a huge proponent of cyberbullying prevention. And I truly understand what young kids are going through because as an adult, I feel that I barely got out of it alive. I was 40 something years old way back at the time when it was happening to me. And I, I really felt like the whole wide world was either laughing at me. I, I barely emotionally sustained it. I mean, it's it, when you are cyber bullied online, it, it's this, the depths of 
you, you just feel so helpless and hopeless. And that's what these young people are feeling because as an adult, I didn't feel like I was going to escape it. So I know how these young people feel. So that's a great intro to really our topic today, which we're going to talk about screen time. And before you get depressed in, in five minutes, <laughs> I just, I just well, really start by underscoring that, you know, cyberbullying is not happening to every child out there, but we don't want it no, to happen not. to any children. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at what they're doing with their screen time. So sort of as a little opening, um, there's some really uh, interesting research that just came out from Common Sense Media about two months ago. And they found that screen time is up about 17% for tweens and teens since the start of the pandemic. No surprise, our kids needed their screens for so many reasons during this time. Um, anyway, that 17% doesn't account for time spent attending school or doing homework. Uh, that growth grew from, here's some numbers, you remember these, uh, for tweens from four hours and 44 minutes a day to five hours and 33 minutes a day. For teens, it went from seven hours and 22 minutes a day to about eight and a half hours per day. In, in short, it's a much faster increase in just the last two years than we've seen in the previous four years. So kids are spending a lot more time on their screens, no surprise. So we're gonna start with the big picture first. Pam, how much is too much? Well, let's first of all, let's describe what we're talking about because when people hear the word screens, they automatically think, ah, oh, social media. But when common sense media and most uh, researchers are measuring screens, they're measuring all screens. They're measuring television. They're measuring YouTube. They're measuring all of these things, not just Instagram, not just Facebook. So it's really important to keep that in mind. The, the last five years of research, researchers have really worked hard to try and pick apart what does screen time actually mean? Because they're discovering that there's a big difference in what you're using and how you're using it that makes almost more difference on your well-being than how much. Now, that being said, obviously balance is key, but we really need to start parsing about what it is that people are doing when they're online and recognize that screen time can be um, triggered by a lot of other things. There are several research studies showing that, that parental stress predicts child screen time. Not surprising, if you're a kid and you're in a house with a lot of stress, a screen is a perfect place to hide out. So we have to be very careful that we're not extrapolating something from a number like screen time without digging a little bit deeper and getting underneath it. Can a kid have a park? Is there any place they can go? Do they, do they have any parental supervision? So it's all of these things that, that go into the measures that make that really important. Um, yeah, but let me just leave you with the Goldilocks theory, right? Which, you know, <laughs> Right, which is that no screen time isn't good for teens, right? It leaves them isolated. Too much screen time isn't good for teens. It leaves them, you know, overburdened and withdrawn. So it, there's, there's a sweet spot in the middle, depending upon how your teen is using it, their maturity, but it's, it is an important way of them navigating their social space. Yeah, and I will say with that Goldilocks hypothesis you just mentioned, um, that sweet spot, they found it's somewhere around two and a half hours per day. That varies depending on day of the week, weirdly. Um, so that's still a lot less than what kids are spending on their screens. But sure. one other thing I wanted to point out from that study that's so fascinating to me is the primary screen time use among all ages and gen both genders is streaming, watching videos, watching television. Kids say they can't live without YouTube. And that's really where I want to turn to you, CJ, because this is what you do every single day. You're working with streaming content. Um, why are, what is it? Like, this is what kids are seeing and why should parents worry and how do they manage that? Big question. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it's pretty incredible to consider that um, it, as early as two years old, a kid can actually navigate um, smart devices to choose the content that they want to watch. Um, and so it can start really, really early. Um, and then the power is in their hands. And because we, there's just so much content that's out there, uh, they can seemingly watch anything. So what they're watching, um, can it's, it's actually very similar to to adults in that it depends on their mood. So um, kind of most streaming services break it down into, into three different categories. It's uh, exciting and dynamic content. So this is, this is what a lot of parents are familiar with, uh, with like six to 10 year olds. This is the, the superhero stuff, the PJ masks, the, the Teen Titans Go, the Paw Patrol, that kind of thing. Um, and then you have unwind content, which um, I think is actually kind of overlooked kids can get stressed. Kids can have a lot on their minds. Uh, and so they will use content to kind of unwind. Um, uh, some market research found that about 80% of kids will watch something to unwind before they go to bed. And this is usually like nostalgic or really familiar content. You'll have a seven-year-old go back to Sesame Street because it's familiar and they love it and they want to feel good, uh, just like us. Um, and then you have the aspirational content. This is where this is where YouTube really wins. This is kids that want to they're they're aspirational by nature, right? They have their whole lives ahead of them. They're looking forward, so they turn to gamers that they love. They turn to music videos. They turn to dancers. They turn to uh, crafts or celebrities. They're looking. They go to YouTube to watch these these things. So. Um, really, I think something to keep in mind is that when kids turn to streaming content, they're turning to that content for a reason. So mm -hmm. as adults, it's really important to try and figure out why they are turning to the things that they are turning to. And it might actually reveal a pattern of an unfulfilled need uh, or something that you can, you can help address uh, instead of like ostracizing them for watching a lot of a, a particular thing, try to understand why they're turning there. That's such great advice. And it reminds me, I wrote a piece for psychology today a year ago about a class I taught in which the kids told me, this is the eighth graders, that they had observed a suicide on TikTok, believe it or not. And in the chat, they were talking about it. And then the kids were saying, I had to watch Peppa the pig for an hour afterwards to feel better. So you're right, they go there for comfort. You know, a lot of these kids are home alone Pam brought up something earlier before we got on the chat that higher screen time really happens in, in families with lower income because obviously the parents are working, the kids are at home, it's the babysitter, it's an affordable babysitter. So there's just a lot of dynamics going along there. So Sue, I wanted to turn to you because you really hear the stories of from families that are really struggling with the screen time issue. Um, that's sort of where you come in with in the teenage years. So what are you hearing from families? Well, especially since the pandemic over the past couple of years, our phones and our inquiries have really gone up. And with the screen time and internet addiction and the kids have, you know, the soft signs used to be more of our kids are failing, they're not attending classes, um, signs of depression, anxiety, um, especially when you try to limit their screen times or uh, they're starting to withdraw from their favorite activities, not wanting to join in at, at family functions. But lately, we've seen it escalate to literally property destruction, rage, anger, explosiveness. Kids are like punching holes in walls. Parents can't even 
think about removing the devices because it literally sets off a firestorm in the house. I mean, I, I talk to parents almost on a weekly basis that I'm hearing this constantly about the rage and the anger that's going on with these kids. It's really interesting. I, I talked to a, fan, a mother last week and she had this observation that I thought was really, really so spot on. She said, you know, if it wasn't the pandemic, it's not the pandemic. What the pandemic did is it took the covers off of, off of it. It, it. The pandemic has now exposed this epidemic of screen addiction. And I really think she's right. I mean, I think this has been a growing concern, but the pandemic has really exposed how much time our kids are really spending online. And yes, it has increased by 17%, but I do think that the pandemic has really given us time to realize the mental health challenges that all our kids are now having because of a lot of them spending too much time online. And this is where residential treatment that a lot of them are calling us for has been really helpful because it's removing these kids from the stressors and the triggers of the home life where they're spending too much time behind the screens. Interesting. So Pam, what signs should a parent look out for to know that their child needs help? Well, you know, I'm, you know, I would just play devil's advocate here a little bit, uh, Sue, because I'm not sure I agree with your parent because screen time has gone up because that's the only way kids have been able to connect and developmentally, their entire task is trying to figure out who they are socially. So I think you can't just say it's one or the other. Teenage depression, all of that was a huge problem even before Right. Facebook before the internet. So I think we need to, we don't want to scare parents into to thinking that somehow nasty stuff is coming out of the screen when it's a very complex mm. etiology, right? The, the, that kind of rage that you're talking about is, has been shown to be a part of product of the frustration with COVID, right? We've been, we've been powerless. We've been kept in our houses. We don't know we're under attack by some invisible, you know, it's kind of like an alien movie. So right. I think it's, it's important for, for parents to exhale a little bit. That doesn't mean you shouldn't address serious symptoms, you know, so you have to recognize symptoms and figure out what's there, but don't just automatically assume that taking away a phone is going to cure what ails your child, because these oh, things no, no. are That's very complex. Yeah, right. Well, no, yeah, right. No, but, but no. parents have a way of hearing of hearing, oh my God, screen time without without thinking that. Oh no no no, that's that it's a very complex yeah, no. thing. No, residential treatment is about therapy, and therapy therapy is these kids need therapy. It's not just about removing the phone. Absolutely not. The kids need help for sure. Right. For coping skills to handle, uh, you know, the anger management, stress management, the anxiety that they're struggling with. At the end right. of the day, no, and, it's really not about the screens. The screens is what they're using to, for, as a coping right. mechanism. Yeah. So what I would say, Diana, to your question, because I kind of went off road there, is that what you recommend with that tech um, contract is incredibly important because it allows parents mm -hmm. to have an initial conversation and establish baseline and expectations so that you can monitor change. Yeah. So what should they look for? Like, what, how do they know they have a problem? Well, I mean, uh, with uh, withdrawal, right? And withdrawal from, um, and and recognizing that this has been a stressful situation. So parents need to have a little bit of compassion in how they're addressing these symptoms. But withdrawal, as as Sue described, 
uh, a lot of anger that they don't know how to disperse, mm-hmm. um, not being interested in in doing things they liked, because sometimes parents think kids should be interested in doing the things that the parents want them to do and the kids aren't, you know, that's actually not pathology, that's pretty normal. But, but really looking for when the behavior becomes problematic to larger life goals, relationships, schoolwork, all of those things. And then that's the point where you should get some assessment done by a, a mental health professional so that they can understand is this anxiety? Is this depression? Is this, you know, lady lost their dog? You know, I mean, there's just all kinds of things that can trigger distress in a child that um, that's maybe they might be using screens to hide, not as a coping mechanism, not as something that's aggravating their situation. So it's really important to pick those things apart. Yeah. And, and I know, like, for my part, I, I just know so many kids, so for lack of a better term, are left alone with their devices. You know, so we have to equip them with strategies to understand how to manage their own screen time, which sounds like an oxymoron, but I mean, it can work. We do it in the classroom in so many different ways. We have kids do diaries of how they spend their day so they can see how much time they spend. We have them make a bucket list of things they would do if they weren't on technology. But honestly, the most effective strategy, and again, I'm working with preteens and teenagers, is for them to learn about the persuasive technology devices that that people, the technologists build in. Such as, you know, you start writing a text message to your friend and the little three dots are happening. So, you know, it's coming. So you don't want to log off or, you know, YouTube serves them another video the minute their video is done or you get a ping when you get a text message. All of those things control us. And, you know, you guys know teenagers. Teenagers don't like to be controlled by anybody. So when it's their devices or their screens controlling them and they know how, it's super powerful to them. And they're like, you know what? Not going to do it. So... I don't know. It's, I just think we have to keep, teach kids how to self-censor. And I wanted to go back to you, CJ, because we had a really interesting pre-chat conversation about kids, even super young, are able to sort of self-censor what they watch, don't watch, what they like. When does that start? Yeah, so this is uh, kind of a fascinating behavior that we see in streaming, which is, um, so we work with uh, it, S&P, so it's Standard and Practices, uh, which is a, a group of people that decide what content is appropriate for what age. Um, and, you know, there's there's a, a goal to not service too old of content for younger kids. Um, but with algorithms and all sorts of different variables, sometimes that happens. And it's really interesting because we'll see uh, kids generally under the age of 10-ish um, just won't go to, uh, to the older content. And even if they start it, they'll exit. Uh, and then, and then about 10 years old, 10 to 12, right in there, uh, they'll watch pretty much anything that's, that's presented to them. So, um, kind of anecdotally, you can take that as, is one of two behaviors, which is one younger kids just don't care. They watch something older and they're like, this is boring. I want a cartoon. And they go, they go back um, but, but it seems to be more, uh, that, that kids at, that are younger than kind of that tween age generally know like, oh, I'm not supposed to be watching this. Like m- mom and dad don't totally want me to watch this. I'm, I don't feel good watching this. I'm going to exit out of it. Whereas when you get that kind of a, the, the age where they're, they're kind of wanting to separate from their parents, they're wanting to be independent. They're wanting to kind of push the boundaries. Then they'll be like, oh, I'm not supposed to watch this, but I'm going to watch it anyway. So uh, yeah, it's a really interesting behavior with kind of that, that kind of age, age group right there. 
I love that because it taps so much into like what Pam and I love is media psychology and developmental psychology, which I learned when Pam was my professor, you know, just so fascinating how kids' brains work. And it really shows in their media use, you know, that really concrete thinking when they're young, yes and no. And then as they get older, that changes a little bit. And I think that's so important for parents to remember when they think about media use, because when you're teaching kids to be safe online, it's yes and no until a certain age. And then all of a sudden they can do that abstract thinking, more complex thinking as they get older. So I'm really happy that you brought that up. So, so really the nitty gritty here is like, how do we help parents prepare their kids to be good screen time managers? Like through your program, Sue, what works the best? Like what top tips would you give to parents to help them manage their kids' screen time? Well, I think what you're going, like having that phone, that smartphone contract right early on is probably one of the best things that parents can do. Um, it outlines the expectation of the parents and it gives the kids a clear understanding of the consequences when they break the rules. But a lot of times when they get to the point where the parents are calling me, it's almost too late because the parents haven't implemented that. So one of the, one of the, tips I always give parents too is you have to, uh, you hear experts say it's not about mo monitoring because, you know, a lot of these parental controls, we all know these teens are so savvy, they can get around. Even I have parents that said, you don't understand, I'm in, I'm in technology, I turn off the Wi-Fi. Well, the kids are picking it up from the neighbors or whatever. It's not even about mentoring anymore. It's about modeling good tech behavior because a lot of these parents out there they're on, they're on the screens just as much, if not more than some of these teenagers. And I mean, a great example is I was in a hospital room with one of my relatives who is a 14 year old and she's too much on the screens and she's a self-harmer and she got the self-harming because on, there's an influencer on one of those whatever um, platforms that's teaching the young girls about self-harm and showcasing their artwork and we're like where did you learn this from and and she's always on social media she goes well you know mom's always on social media and it's like one of those aha moments and I look over to my relative and I'm like you know I've been trying to tell you shut it down just shut it down if a parent is texting and driving, it's the green light for the teenager to text and drive, even if you're texting at a red light. We have to remember it's not about monitoring, maybe a little, yes, you should monitor. It's not about mentoring, yes, you should mentor. Most importantly, it's modeling. It's model, you're modeling what you're doing as a parent is the green light for what your child is going to do. There's so many studies out there that say that you as parents are the greatest influence to your teen. Sure. And, the, and the other great tip I say to parents all the time, including my own kids for their kids, is lights out, screens out, and that. And even though you can't trust your kids for that, buy a lockbox. Put those those phones into a lockbox at night. Whatever time your contract says, if it's nine o'clock, ten o'clock, they all go into a lockbox. Invest in a lockbox because sleep. I'm sure. Pam will say this, the, the disrupted sleep patterns, the, um, the kids not getting the appropriate amount of sleep, the constant you know, fear of missing out during the night. My one, my one relative who ended up in one of these programs because of all this, um, I would wake up at two in the morning and find her scrolling. You know, Even though you'd put that phone away, you'd hide it, they find it. So lock boxes, invest in a lock box. And, you know, <laughs> 
It's funny you say that, Sue, because I was thinking about last week, I was teaching sixth graders. We, we do this lesson about selfies where they have to draw their own selfie and then they show it to the class. So this kid drew a selfie and he had really dark circles under his eyes. I'm like, you're too young to have dark circles. He goes, that's because I stay up all night playing among us. They, they do. They're up on, and I'm talking. I'm talking extreme teens, kids yeah. that are on the extreme spectrum, not these ones. Like I said, with the soft side, the soft signs, you know, that are, you know, can yeah. just go to maybe a digital detox camp for the summer or something. But mm-hmm. this is this is extreme. Right. So you see that end of it. So I yeah. just want to say that we were making a mistake in the chat box. I don't know if you've had this CJ, but I, we were posting our links to each other, not to the <laughs> audience. So we know where the links are. So I just now put the common sense media study and the tech agreement links in there. And if you're listening to this via the podcast on our CyberWise website, we have what we call learning hubs. And if you scroll down the learning hubs, there's one called technology agreement. I love our agreement because it's it's really talking points. It's four pages long, but it gives you a bunch of talking points that you can do with each child based on their age and stage. And, you know, come to agreements on what's appropriate for that child, for your family, for their situation. Uh, kids love boundaries, especially the younger ones. So it will help you establish those boundaries. And then you can decide um, if there's consequences and what they are if they don't agree to those guidelines. So we put that in there. And Pam, what would be your top tips to parents to help manage screen time? Well, I'm just going to reinforce what you're saying. And what I love about your tech contract is that it's a two-way conversation because kids are going to know a lot about their apps that parents aren't going to know. And parents shouldn't resist getting involved because they don't know how to do a snack or how to you know, make a TikTok video. So that's why these conversations about why something matters to a kid and what their expectations or desires or aspirations are can really make that a positive connection so that nobody's surprised when it's lights out for the phone so that you you don't ever have to buy the lockbox, right? Where you've got, you've established some trust and where you ask the kids, hey, when you see me breaking the rules, you tell me too, because, you know, we're sort of all in this together. And when, when they feel like that about technology, it's a much more positive a positive thing. But I, you know, I, I, want, I don't want parents to go off and worry about that number of screen time. I want them to think about the quality of the relationships their kid is having with the media, with each other, and, and work from that basis, not some arbitrary number that was, you know, invented 12 years ago by a researcher. Yeah. And content. Content is so important. What are they content. watching? You know, there's a lot of really great content. There's a lot of, as we covered in our last chat, you know, kids are watching live war footage and they're Ukraine roar on TikTok. So it really depends on what they're watching. Um, so let's talk more about the younger kids. CJ, I know you don't have kids yet, but you're out there, uh, I was going to say peddling content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice non-judgmental description. <laughs> but you're in this every day. Like what, what would you say to a younger, uh, like how would they, and I, I'm going to preface this by saying, TJ, I'm really excited that soon CJ is going to launch a podcast, The Parent's Guide to What Kids Watch, which will be awesome because we've been talking a lot about this internally. It's like for the young kids, what they watch is so important. Um, So take it away, CJ. Yeah. Uh, So as far as tips, um, the big thing is, is, is do your research on, on what you're watching. Um, That's, there's a kind of an infamous story of a of a mother taking their young kid to go see the latest superhero movie called Deadpool, 
uh, having no idea what it actually was. Um, and she sued Fox uh, and, and lost. But the idea was she did no research whatsoever. Uh, she just saw superhero and, and took her kid to it. And it ended up being a, a very rated R, very mature thing. So uh, do, do your research. There are websites that are dedicated to uh, kind of giving parents the, the tools that they need to, to understand the content. Um, and as, as far as the media goes, like watch with your kids. Um, there's a lot of money that's invested in making a, a TV show that parents won't drive parents crazy. Um, and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll come across those occasionally that they'll want to watch on repeat and it'll be tough for you. Um, but, uh, and then the other thing too, is, uh, make sure that just you talk to your kids about what they see. Um, it, it, in some case, not to be kind of a downer, but in some cases you, there is, we're fighting a losing battle because there is just so much content out there and our access to that content is becoming more and more, it's easier and easier every single day to get your hands on things that, that, uh, you may not want to, or you wouldn't, may not want your kids. So, uh, having that open dialogue with your, with your kids about what they're watching and what they're seeing and what it means and what the consequences of those things are. That's, I mean, that, that's kind of, that's the one one of understanding how media is affecting your kids. Um, that's a really, I, I agree with all of your tips. They're, they're so awesome. So I'm not going to rehash them, but I will say, I put a couple things in the chat box, tech agreement. Number one, um, parents are always asking me, well, how old should my kid be before I give them a smartphone? Please remember that they're able to stream anything on these little devices. So we have a really great little PDF that will help you. Is your child ready for a smartphone? Questions you can ask yourself to determine that readiness. I put that link in the chat box. And then earlier I referenced that, um, you know, talking to older kids about technology addiction features or features that keep them coming back for more. So we actually have a lesson within cyber civics that addresses that. It's called Your Brain on Tech. So we'd be happy to share that with you. Um, you're welcome to shoot us an email. I put the email address in there. So that's just my really quick roundup of tips. I love everything you guys said, but especially that doing it together, picking quality content is really, really important. Um, and I wanted to just quickly look at some of the questions we have here because I saw someone asked if we're gonna be addressing the metaverse again. I wish, I think we did that chat way too soon. I think that that's a topic we need to revisit. Um, and I think we'll be touching on it in our next chat, but I will um, point you to a great article that you should all read. It's by Samir Hindunje. Hindunje, I already say his last name incorrectly, with the Cyberbullying Research Center. If you go to their website on their blog, it's their most recent post. Great piece on the metaverse that you should, should definitely read. Um, and then the other question, at which age would you first utilize a tech agreement? Um, again, I refer you to those questions that I just posted. So, uh, yeah. So, anything else? Any last words on this? Sue, I'll let you have the last word on our topic today. I can just any for any questions on it on any of thing anything that I talked about, or if you need you know further help, it's just helpyourteens.com and more on my story or anything like like that. It's just helpyourteens.com. It's a real comprehensive website. I'm putting in, I don't know if I'm going to get there before CJ. <laughs> We're going to have it up twice, I think. Um, okay, so that's, that's where you can find Stu. You know where to find us. Um, stay tuned for next time, our next CyberWise chat. I'm personally very interested in because it's about digital literacy. What did our title end up being, Pam? Let me see. I don't know. We've been back and, back and forth. Oh, uh, digital literacy, the key to success at any age. And 
I'm really excited about it. I, I met this really great kid. He's a, I shouldn't call him a kid. He just graduated from California, University of California at Berkeley. He devised a digital literacy course that they now teach at that college and other colleges will be teaching. That's eerily similar to what I do with middle, middle, middle school students. So we're gonna talk about how you can teach those lessons from the young kid age that CJ is dealing with all the way to the college and postgraduate that Pam deals with. So I really hope that you join us next time. Um, you'll find the link on our CyberWise chat place on our website. It's cyberwise.org slash chats. That's where you'll find the information. So until then, thank you so much, Sue, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Of course. And thank you, as always, Pam and CJ. And um, for those of you who joined us, thank you. And we will see you in a month. Awesome. All right. Have a great day. Bye, Bye you guys.